Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? April 28th edition of the Fightful MMA podcast. Yours truly, Joe Farrell, your host. You can follow me online at Showdown Joe. Give us all a follow at Fightful MMA. And don't forget, for all of your mixed martial arts news, make sure you visit FightfulMMA.com. It is Friday. I am joined by managing editor for Fightful, Sean Ross Sapp. Make sure you give him a follow online at Sean Ross Sapp. Sean, what's going on, man? You're, you're all about this one. Give, give him a follow. Tell one friend. How about you give me 10 follows? How about you create fake accounts and you follow me on all of them? Because when I get to 100,000 followers, what will I do? I don't know. I'll think of something. I will set up a meeting where Jimmy Van will take a guitar shot to the head. That's what we'll do at 100,000 followers. Has he ever jobbed anything like that before? Do you know if Jimmy Van's done that? He's been involved in some indie wrestling in the past. I get the feeling that that's the type <laughs> of thing he would be into. If we booked like a fightful wrestling hybrid card, he would probably be down to take take a bump or something. I think so. He's the man. He's too funny. Yeah. Uh, lots to talk about in the world of MMA. There's some interesting news that is, that's coming out there. Obviously, in my opinion, uh, I've been paying very close attention to the Ally Quinta story. Uh, you know, I talked Mark about Hunt action figure. Did you see that debacle? I can't wait. I assigned it to Joe Holbert. I was like, Joe, listen, everybody's going to get an article on this tomorrow. I want you to dig really deep on this. I can't. Like, it's it's just crazy. <laughs> it's outstanding. I mean, is that thing real? Is that thing real? I hope. If so, it's a collector's item immediately, and I'm going to buy one. Hmm. Guys, don't forget. Uh, if you're tuned in live right now, we do have the live chat. Uh, that that Mark Hunt wannabe action figure is just – it's it's terrible. Anyways, uh, live chat, top right of your screen. Uh, before you get on there to say hi or, or give us a comment or suggestion, uh, in my opinion, tell a friend. In Sean's opinion, tell 10 friends, even if nine of them are fake. Uh, but let's get on there and let, let's get some love going here in the live chat. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I want to do discuss. Before I get over into some MMA stuff here, I guess it is sort of MMA-related um, – you being someone very, very involved in the in the wrestling community, uh, or at least in the news site uh, and stuff like that, what is the overall consensus of the wrestling fan base right now with CM Punk? It's very polarizing. I mean, he's always been a polarizing guy. He <clears throat> came up and he was the anti-WWE superstar. That's just how he was. He was smaller. I mean, you got to remember the reason I got in MMA is because I was like 160, 170 pounds, and that's too small. Now, 160, 170 pounds, which I'm much bigger than now, that there's divisions for that. They have cruiserweights that size. CM Punk was the opposite. He was this skinny dude, maybe 190, 200 pounds. He eventually ballooned up, but he was everything WWE didn't want a wrestler to be, but people liked him anyway. So despite that fanfare, he kind of leaves and does so indifferently, but he pulled WWE's covers. A lot of people appreciate that. A lot of people see it as whining. 
there are still those people, Joe, in this line of work who are like, I paid for your house, you owe me. And, you know, there there's indifference to how he got into the UFC. Of course, there is ridicule for how he performed in the UFC. That being said, one of the reasons he left WWE was because he never got the WrestleMania main event. And WWE will say, oh, well, we have four main events. No, main event is what goes on last. That being said, if he shows up next year, two weeks before WrestleMania, and says, hey, guys, I want to wrestle Triple H at WrestleMania. Two weeks before the show, they halt everything, and they're like, that's our new main event. That is the main event, CM Punk versus Triple H, WrestleMania main event. He can step in and do whatever he wants tomorrow if he wants to do it. So his stock has actually skyrocketed since leaving with the w- people, in the eyes of WWE and the fans. People still chant for him, yeah. And at that point, he had already passed his peak in popularity. Like he was on the downswing. When he was leaving, not like a heavy downswing. He was still considered a like upper echelon guy. But since he left, uh, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And the old you don't know what you got till it's gone. They were really stocked up on talent when he left and had some guys that looked like they were going to break through the next level. WWE's booking didn't really facilitate that to get somebody over the way that CM Punk once got over where ESPN were covering his scripted promos and lighting the world on fire and all this stuff. He could come back and do whatever he wanted. Like that's just that's just how it is and whether people believe it or not and the funny thing is he would be able to get an outstanding amount of heel heat for that because he once rallied against the guys who were part-timers, the Brock Lesnar's, the Rock, the Undertaker, the guys that were brought in to beat him while he was working every day. He trashed those guys because they would show up once every few months and win. Now, if he were to do that, that would make him even more polarizing. But that being said, don't see it happening anytime soon. He seems very comfortable. Apparently, the people I talk to say he is extremely good with money and extremely smart with money. Good for him. Uh, the irony was, uh, before I came on this podcast, I was actually looking at some uh, money that I'm taking care of and, and some uh, some trades and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I appreciate someone that has money and that knows what to do with their money. So good for uh, Phil Brooks. Are you are you uh, doing better with your trades than the Chicago Bears did last night at the NFL draft? I didn't see or hear anything regarding the NFL. My trades uh, are extremely basic because they're all uh, long-term trades. There's nothing. I'm not. I don't. I'm not looking for a hole in my stomach where I'm trading uh, and, and chasing, um, you know, an algorithm or chasing a, a peak and then selling. Mine are all make the change now, and I'll see you in a month or so or two months from now and take it from you there. Ever so, movie, what have you ever seen the movie Draft Day? I think, I think I've it had Draft Day. I, I'm trying. To, I feel like it had Kevin Costner in it, and it. Okay. Or like, McConaughey? No. No, no, no. I think it was uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, yeah, yeah, draft day. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. He facilitated this monster draft day trade that was completely unbelievable and re- unrealistic. Leave it to the Chicago Bears to do something so stupid that it suspends my disbelief yet again. To trade up one spot, one spot for a person the 49ers didn't even want. They gave up their pick right after, and then three additional draft picks. I think a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, and then another fourth rounder next year. I think, yeah. Terrible trade. No sense. Yeah. That makes absolutely That's no awesome sense. But yeah, hell, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, we're not talking about Mark Hunt anymore. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on a few different things. Uh, I've been paying attention to what's happening out there in the world of mixed martial arts, and there's always a concern when it comes uh, to the safety of the fighters. When it comes to, you know, refereeing, uh, you know, judging more or less has an effect in terms of their paychecks, uh, but refereeing obviously for their safety. But now it's starting to get a little bit bigger and better. This is a conversation I had with with Big John McCarthy a very long time ago. Uh, I do have it often with Frank Trigg, uh, and of course, you know. When I see Big John, we continue to talk about a variety of different things, um, but especially with the state of California. Uh, and now I think USADA is about to get involved with this whole thing regarding weight cutting. Um, they're going to start doing these hydration tests. Fighters are going to be tested uh, randomly by USADA. Um, what's going to happen is they're also going to weigh them. So I think they're going to be stepping in and working with commissions. You tell me if I'm wrong. It looks like they're going to be stepping in with commissions right now to say, listen, this guy cuts way too much weight, way too much weight, or girl, uh, and it's got to stop because the long-term effects of weight cutting uh, are very, very bad. 
Uh, they want to start minimizing the amount of weight someone can A, cut, and B, put back on. So there'll be some, again, there'll be some more changes happening in the world of mixed martial arts. We all knew when, we, when USADA came in, there was going to be a variety of changes, a multitude of suspensions, a lot of people getting caught, a lot of changes, a lot of fights or favorite fighters losing fights because they, they are no longer, uh, we'll just call it pre, pre-USADA. Uh, your take on all this here that's happening in this change in mixed martial arts or upcoming change? I'm thrilled about uh, about any weight-related uh, benefits that the, the, the fighters can get. And when I say benefits, I mean towards their health, not towards, oh, I'm able to cut more weight, yada, yada. Come on, man. Like, you, you got to... You got to be smarter. You got to think about your long-term health. And, you know, it's long-term health versus uh, finances. That, that's what it all boils down to. They think they can make more money by cutting more weight, by winning more fights. Safety and, and in the interest of fairness, I think it's a better idea. Fight closer to your natural weight, man. Like, I don't know anybody who just loves the idea. Yeah, I like the idea that he fights at 170, but when he gets in the cage, he's 194. Like that's that's not cool. And you know maybe the UFC needs to. They're like, well, we don't want to add weight divisions now. We don't want to add weight division now. It's so funny to me that they were willing to add a 145 division, but they're not willing to add a women's 125 or a men's 165, and then move that 170 to 175. When <laughs> the women's featherweight division, there's nobody there. They don't even know the future of the division. And meanwhile, you have fighters that are ready for those other ones. I hope this helps facilitate that, if anything else. Sometimes you got to go through a rough patch before you get there, but maybe the UFC will see. I mean, we've seen a lot more weight misses, hospitalizations, uh, things like that since since the, the, the early weigh-ins. I mean, it didn't seem like we had this many problems with the old weigh-ins, which is that weird to you, Joe? Like, what do you think that's that's from? Well, I think the majority of fighters that are competing nowadays uh, are used to, to, to weighing in uh, late in the afternoon. That this change now changes their their, their body algorithm when they go to sleep. Um, you know, they're going to sleep basically starving. They're they're not they're not putting anything in their system, or they're going to bed with a minimal amount of of nutrients in their body, so that when they wake up, they can have a little bit of energy to take off those last few pounds. You're going to lose weight no matter what. Jason McDonald, uh, who once competed in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, always told me no matter what you're going to lose weight overnight. You're going to lose weight when you have to urinate in the morning. You're going to lose a little bit. Um, he was a guy back in the day that would, would he would cut the night before. Hmm. He would be done the day, right before he went to bed, okay, or slightly tiny bit over. He told me, he goes, I would step on a scale and I would hold a glass in my hand and I would know how much that glass would weigh. I would then pour some water in there, step back onto the scale, and then I knew exactly how much weight I would have to lose if I decide to drink this water or whatever. So yeah, Jason McDonald was the guy back in the day who would cut, you know what, I'm going to bed, I'm going to be a tiny, tiny couple of ounces over, wake up in the morning, I'm going to be fine, but then he would sit there and have to wait till 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon to weigh in. That's a long time. To not have, like, I mean, it's what? It's 1217 Eastern right now. Imagine being on weight, Sean, and not being able to eat, drink anything oh, yeah. for another three or four hours. That's that's extremely painful. I mean, um, you know, I tell people all the time, when even the, it could be a Saturday afternoon, uh, I'm with the family at the mall or I'm at some store or whatever, and I'm like, or I'm working outside or I, I don't have a chance to do anything, and I'm like, I'm starving. And in my head, I'm like, you're not starving. Here, you're perfectly fine, son. Imagine what these guys and girls go through when they have to weigh in. But what we're talking about here is they, they are, it's so dramatic and drastic to where they get so low. Like DC was 205 pounds. Let's just say 206, 207 in reality with, with the towel. He was 234, 235 on oh, yeah. fight night. I was, I'm, I'm a 185-pound man, and I wrestled at 149.9, and it was miserable. It was miserable. I almost killed my body doing that. Now, granted, I at the time I was a young dude, didn't know exactly what I was doing. And after that, I, I made weight one time, and I was like, well, that's never going to happen again. And a few weeks later, I had to go to my doctor, and she said, no, it's never going to happen again because I'm going to completely advise you against it. And it, I, I, looked, I never looked back. I don't like the the benefits don't always outweigh the negatives. Now granted, again, I was very young. I didn't know necessarily what I was doing at that point. 
the the easier weight cuts, I learned more. I I just it, it, things got better for me. Um, Adam Ball says, "What divisions would change? Because if you don't change all the weight classes, it seems if you're favoring certain fighters. I think 160 or 165 would be instituted, and you would move 170 to 175. Now the benefit of that is they have just an abomination." It's an abomination how many fighters compete at those weight classes. So you take about you, you take about half of each. You throw them in that mid division. Hopefully, some of the one eighty fivers are going to come down to one seventy five. Uh, it's just the way it's going to happen. I always like the idea of one ninety five too, but man, two hundred five is stripped so bare right now, and it's not like back in the day, Joe. You remember when they they were like playing the hokey pokey with the 195 division, like Vanderlei and Rich, Rich Franklin. Franklin. and Yep. Yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll give you this. We'll maybe do this. Hey. And back then, they could have done that. They could have done that because you would have had marquee names fighting at 195. Uh, a, a guy says too many weight divisions. Well, too many weight divisions comparative to when the UFC started. It's still not close to boxing. I think boxing has too many. One every five, six, seven pounds is too much. One every 10 pounds, I don't think is that bad. I think one weight division every 10 pounds is is the way to go. Uh, it always has been the way to go. And I, I, I mean, Dana White ripped me one time live in studio uh, when I brought this up. Shocker. I know Dana White ripping me. You know, it's another Sean Pierce, another bald <laughs> guy that decides to rip me, whatever. Uh, and I brought it up. And the next thing, he ripped me apart about bringing women to MMA or bringing women to the UFC. So whatever. I, I mean, that worked. Yeah. Uh, I told him about an all season of, of women on the ultimate fighter. Told me it was the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, you want to accept, anyways, you wanna uh, accept uh, responsibility for tough China too? Did you pitch that one? No, that's something I didn't do at all. I, I no, <laughs> we talked international stuff, but it's, it's got to be quality fighters. Whoa. Anyways, yeah, what I'm trying to talk about here in terms of the actual weight divisions, I have no problem with it because 155 pounds, like you said, could easily be split up to 165 pounds. I have no issue with that. In terms of boxing, there's so many different weight classes. It's so hard to understand. You start doing it every 10 pounds, it's not difficult to know where. Um, I think it would be absolutely fantastic if they did that. The, the question I have, you know, it's, it's a question that was asked at the, at the, pre, at the post-fight press conference, the Dana, um, not just for the 145-pound ladies' division, but 125-pound ladies' division. And he said, no, not going to happen. Uh, and it, all these other weight classes, not going to happen. I don't understand why there's such negativity or such, no, not going to happen, no, 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 when it makes sense. I mean, what, why do you think that he, he or they act this way? The options are there. I don't know stubbornness, stubbornness for one. Because uh, I mean, they we we've seen it happen before. Now, now, granted, the flyweight division we're four years deep and they're still forming. But they were like, "Hey, we're starting a flyweight division." Oh, we're starting it like next month. And it's like boom, there it is. The the women's strawweight division, boom, they just started it. We're gonna run an Ultimate Fighter. Okay, they've got the talent there. The numbers are there. The people are there. Now, granted, that 125 division will dilute a couple other divisions. It will. And that I kind of understand. The 165, I know they don't want to move a division, an established division. I think it's out of pure stubbornness. Now, what I ask you, Joe, is if they move the 170 division to 175, which, again, is just us throwing this out there, do – Companies around the world follow suit. Do amateur companies follow suit? Yes. Like, I think so 100%. too. Yeah, it's you, you know, there's they're the leader for a reason. You follow the lead. You don't try and. I mean, there's going to always be companies out there that are going to try and reinvent the wheel. But if the big show is doing it, and of course, it would have to likely, in my opinion, go through. Um, you know, the, the Association of Boxing Commissions, the, the Unified Rules of MA would have to change. I don't think it's that difficult. But uh, yeah, Infinity 007 says, "Have you guys heard of Gabby Garcia?" Uh, yeah, I called two of her yeah, fights. We have. <laughs> How is she ever going we to sure? compete in the UFC? She won't ever compete won't. in the UFC. Um, Never. Yeah, uh, likely only Sammy only wants to be in UFC. Hundred percent. 
Yes, sir. Why must people drop 20 plus pounds to make lower weight classes? Why not fight at normal weight without cutting? That's what we're going to be getting at. The reason why they do that is because they want that simple advantage of being the bigger fighter in the fight in that weight class. Because you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't live your life at 155 or at 145. You just have to make weight. And then you go back to being normal. Okay, so at that point there, that's where the changes are. I mean, people have been ripping apart John Jones for millennia. It feels like it's millennia that he's too big for that division. It's not fair. He's got an unfair advantage. Everyone else cuts weight. Anyone and everyone no, else no, can do no, it. So. He safely cuts weight. When have you? When has John Jones missed weight? When has he shuffled onto the scale with a towel and like passed out backstage and been hospitalized? And you hear about IV situations. John Jones makes weight, and he makes it easily. Uh, we got to talk about Emile uh, Meek before this guy has an aneurysm in the chat, Joe. <laughs> before we do that, uh, uh, Ole Samuel A. is talking about Gabby and, uh, and Cyborg and, and putting them together in a fight uh, in Ryzen. They're training partners. They're good friends. Yeah. Uh, Cyborg is Gabby's mentor. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, Gabby wouldn't fight Katya Kavaliva. Why is she, is she going to fight Cyborg? Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryzen is awesome. Am I allowed to make a comment on that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. They're not that great. Uh, respectfully disagree. <laughs> uh, Emil Meek, <laughs> by all means, go ahead. Okay, he's fighting Nordin Taleb. This guy just wants us to talk about yep. him. Hey, he looked good in his UFC debut. Hey, he's looked good like the last year, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I think that Taleb booking is a good one because he's a dude who kind of inconsistent, win-loss, win-loss, and hasn't fought in over a year. I think that uh, I think that Meek's gonna I think Meek's gonna win. And it's international fight week. So or no, it's not international fight week. It's uh, uh May twenty eighth, so it's in a month. So that's that's on the Stockholm show. That's a good place to book him too. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I like he's got the Paul Horace win. He came in and beat Jordan Meehan. That was hell of a win too. The, the, that's a pretty nice impression. Do you think the UFC were like, hey, they, he, he beat this dude that we banned. Let's go and bring him in because it's not like they haven't done stuff like this before. If you remember when when Kimbo Slice got beat up by Sean Gannon, they signed Gannon. Yeah, I remember that. So, like, people that they maybe have issues with or aren't comfortable being in their promotion, if somebody beats them, they have done that before. Plus, it was an impressive knockout. It was 45 seconds. Yeah. I'm, I'm just laughing at some of the stuff on the chat here. Uh, Adam Ball, let's hear Joe what happened. Cut a promo. Now, nah, I don't air dirty laundry. Uh, Casey Walton, can we get a showdown, Joe, and Mar Ronaldo rising broadcast team this year? The odds of that happening would be uh, every single one of us levitating. Uh, the Earth crashing into the Moon, or the Moon crashing into the Sun, uh, orbit changing. It's a little yeah. more likely than that. Like, I mean, Frank Shamrock could go drop a deuce on like a, a Japanese water cooler or something, and get fired from his job, and they'd be like, "Man, you know what? Showdown Joe is pretty easy to work with." I mean, there was a guy in in pro wrestling Noah, I think it was this week. He got suspended because he went into a grocery store and he laid in the ice cream freezer, like those isolated ones. He just like laid in it, and they suspended him and sent him home. You never know. You never know. The odds of yours truly working with Mar Ronaldo would be akin to the president of the United States and the dictator of North Korea playing beer pong tomorrow. Yeah, that's not that unlikely. <laughs> that's not going to happen, guys. So, so you're saying that you'll be on the next broadcast with Morrow? Because honestly, if I woke up and read that headline tomorrow, I'd be like, "Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like something Donald Trump would do." Too funny. Too funny. Uh, Josie Aldo wants a box. He hey, says he's over to- Conor McGregor. Everybody wants to box. Everybody wants to box, don't they? It's so easy. Everybody wants to box. Fools. I bet he's over Conor McGregor. You know, I had never seen the footage like of McGregor in the cage after that. Did you ever see that? Like what he said to Jose Aldo right uh, after? The, the, before, the, before everything was announced? Before the actual hand yeah. was raised? He said thank you and stuff like that? He's like, he's like, thank you. And he said, I'm sorry, we'll do it again. 
He apologized to the guy for knocking him out in 14 seconds. And I'm like, man. But that's Connor. Connor is very, very, yeah. very respectful afterwards. Oh, he yeah. always has been. If you go and take a look at what he's done, he's always respectful. Leading up to it, man, he's going to play mind games. He's going to mess with your mind. He's going to convince you and just get into your head and destroy you mentally. But as soon as it's over and done with, we're cool. We're cool. Unless yeah. we have to fight again, then we're not cool. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate that. I can always appreciate that out of Conor McGregor, but Jose Aldo is not over Conor McGregor. He's not. Conor McGregor... You never get over him. Conor McGregor has been over Jose Aldo for a year and a half or however long it's been, and now he just he just sees. He just knows, and he, he's seeing that window close. If I were Jose Aldo, and yeah, he, he might get beat by Max Holloway. That's a hell of a fight. That is one hell of a fight. I would win that fight, and I would say... Let's make this super fight, 155-pound title. Let's do it after, hopefully, Conor McGregor ever comes back. Why not? I mean, that's what I would angle for if I were him. I mean, the UFC would probably do it. That 155 division's a mess. It's sad right now. Nobody wants to fight except for Tony Ferguson. He's the only guy that wants to fight. (laughs) And I like Quinta. But he wants more money. Yeah, but... This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's look at Ally Quinta. I like Ally Quinta, but oh, he's ripping up Twitter right now. He's ripping up Twitter. That guy's getting retweets and likes like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, but does he want the fight? He signed the contract. With with all due respect to him, he signed the deal that had the price on it. Uh, Do I agree that he's getting paid enough? No, I don't. But he beat Diego Sanchez. He hadn't fought in two years. He should have lost to, to Masvidal. I thought he lost that fight. He did not win that fight. I thought it was a bad decision. And other than that, he had a he had a good run. He's had a very good run. I think he's won, oh, what is that, eight of nine now? But, hey, talking gets it done, but it's so weird because I think you've mentioned it in another broadcast. If this were the Diaz brothers, people would be like, yeah, yeah. But people are saying he's disrespectful now. Just take a fight. Fight out your contract. Take your services elsewhere. So what you got to do. Fight out your contract, take your services elsewhere. Despite him signing that on the dotted line, he won't do it. He says he won't do it because I'm not – he goes, I'm not fighting better guys than I just defeated for 26 and 26, which, again, begs to differ. Like, why would you sign that contract? You agreed to do it. Now you don't want to do it. It's it's one of – it's it's such a weird – he's conflicted, man. The dude's conflicted. I don't blame him because he now looks outside of, of mixed martial arts and he sees the dollar signs that he can make doing real estate. And I don't fault anyone. I used to say it all the time. If if Quentin Rampage Jackson leaves the Ultimate Fighting Championship because he did, he made so much money doing the A team. Not according to Dana White, but if he made all mm-hmm. that money doing the A team, why come back? You know, Ronda Rousey. Why would she come back if she's making just as much, if not more, money? Well, she got paid a boatload of money uh, against Amanda Nunes. Mm-hmm. But if she's making a boatload of money doing acting, why fight? Why take trauma? Why take a beating? I know you're a competitor. I know you love to fight, but okay. Rumble Johnson. There you go. He said, I'm tired of getting hit in the head. Yeah, that's just one example. There's more. If you go up and down, you asked me two, three weeks ago, whatever happened. Pearson. Pearson even. He left on a three-fight winning streak. And back then, people weren't leaving on three-fight winning streaks. Yeah. Claude Patrick. You asked me about Claude Patrick. You flat out, what's that me? And said, whatever happened to Claude Patrick? 
that dude was a badass. And I'm like, yeah, he was. But he, you know, fought in the UFC, opened up a gym. I don't, I don't know for sure if his gym is still open right now, but he opened up a gym, probably is, and found success that way. He's like, why am I going to fight for X amount of money when I can now open up a gym, get members, promote it, market it, more members come in, and I can make money that way and not get my head beat in by an opponent who's simply trained as much as I have to kick my face in. So yeah, T- and that's what people you know talk to all the time. TJ Grant got sidelined with a concussion. He was like, "Now nah, I'm good." He was supposed to fight for the title, which I brought this up a few times, but I know you remember back then people were like, "Oh, the UFC paid him off to milk an injury so they could put Showtime Pettis in there." Man, he's milking the hell out of that, isn't he? I know. <laughs> if that, right? If that were the case, it's been four years since he fought. He fought Gray Maynard. And uh, knocked him out or stopped him, and he was just like, you know what? It's not worth it. He got a regular job. He got a regular job and said, nah, I'm good. And that's what it's all about, man. It's a say. Listen, you can make the same argument for people playing football. Um, well, I, sh- I should say football or hockey because you know you, you do get concussive trauma there, but the pay scale is completely different. Uh, it is more. Any, you, you, hey, any sport, man. Like Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn in baseball, he was never a great contact hitter. But up until his last year, he was still hitting 22 home runs. There's a place for you on a team if you're hitting 22 home runs and batting three or getting a 337 on base percentage. Now, he invested in that Dallas Buyers Club movie and then said, peace out, guys. See you later. He right. took a gamble. It paid off. And then he's like, you know, I don't need that $10 million a year. I got that Dallas Buyers Club money. I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of guys that want money, uh, that were angling to fight the likes of George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz, Tyron Woodley says uh, camp has started. Champ camp has kicked off. He will be likely competing in July. No opponent announced just yet. Who do you assume will be that opponent? Who do I assume? Will it be well, Nick Diaz? At... Oh, God. He would kick the living shit out of Nick Diaz. Like, it wouldn't even be close how badly Tyron Woodley would beat the brakes off of Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz it's, would submit him in 45 seconds. <laughs> so it's not going to be Stephen I'd love to Thompson see the fight, man. Is. No, it's, I, I, it's not I, you know what? I would Thompson. love to see Diaz. I'd love to see Diaz versus Thompson yeah. because anything with Nick Diaz leading up to a fight is just, for me, it's magic. I love it. Oh, sure, sure. But he would get the, I think he would get the shit kicked out of him by Woodley. The lead-up will be fun. Um, okay, so we got Stephen Thompson, not happening. Robbie Lawler, he's going to fight Cerrone. And plus, he's coming off of a loss. Damian Maya, he's fighting Masvidal, yeah? Condit. When was the last time Condit fought? They're asking about him on the chat right now. So Conant hasn't been around for a while, but he's not getting a title shot. Yeah, he's not getting a title shot. Uh, he, he's coming off of two straight losses. He's not won in two years. Hasn't fought since last August. Ain't going to be him. Neil Magny? Nope, he's booked. Dong Hyun Kim? Yeah, keep dreaming. Gunnar Nelson? It's Conor I, McGregor. Huh? It's Conor McGregor. Might be Conor McGregor. Or you know who the number ten ranked fighter is? It's Kelvin. Oh, Kelvin's Kamaru. a middleweight. Sorry, Kamaru Usman. Yeah, buddy. Come on, Kamaru. Get that title shot, son. Get that belt. Yeah. Bring it to Titan so we can hang out. Put it on the table. We're doing the play-by-play. Love it. Won't happen. I think though. it'll probably. Be, um, uh, I think it'll probably be Connor or Nick Diaz. Yeah. Because yeah, Dos Anjos lost last, Diaz. or else they'd just throw him in there. Yeah. Uh, I'm liking the stuff I'm seeing with Perillo, uh, Jason Perillo and Rafael Dos Anjos. I mean, he made the change over from Kings and he's gone over to train with Jason, but uh, he, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he, he was so dominant and then got the, you know, bleep kicked out of him by, uh, by Alvarez who ends up losing to Connor. But, uh, it's amazing how that division was just, just crazy for a bit. It was up and down, up and down, up and down. And now we have a champion again, who's not defending that title. So. So many things happening at 155. Wouldn't it be great if it was a 165-pound division there, uh, Sean Ross Yeah, it sure would be. I could watch uh, Nate Diaz fight Khabib or Habib. Oh, yes, somebody mentions in the chat. Put Woodley versus Nick and Ferguson versus Nate on the same card. You're telling me, man. Yeah. yeah. Just I mean, take my money. Take my money. 
in which Jimmy Van then has to reimburse. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of boats going down in July, uh, UC two fourteen. Uh, Daniel Cormier made it very clear to a certain John Bones Jones, you are not, you don't deserve a tune-up fight. You fight me. You fight me next. You come get the belt that you once had. Uh, I like this angle by DC because if there's an opportunity to defeat John Jones, you want to make sure you fight John Jones potentially at his weakest state with octagon rust, ring rust, any kind of rust whatsoever. I think DC is making the right call. And I think I said before, if he defeats John Jones, don't look for a trilogy belt. That dude walks away and retires. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I think if he does beat John Jones and he sees those dollar signs, he's like, let me get myself a little more financially secure. <laughs> I think he has a job in the booth as long as he wants it. He is unbelievable. He is great. He is awesome in that booth. Saying don't take tune-up fights. Ah, guy, you fought Patrick Cummins. So come on. Come on. I see what he's doing, but you fought Patrick Cummins and anybody that did any. Yeah, tape- but that was that was to save that was to save the card. That was that was that was a That's totally true. different scenario. Yeah, that was just they had to get him any, an opponent, right? Anybody who watched any tape on Patrick Cummins knew exactly how that fight was going, because in his first pro fight, you saw him get hit, and he was like, "Ah!" Hey, a funny story. A funny story about Patrick Cummins. When I got when when that fight was announced. I got a phone call, California, and was explicitly told to put money on Patrick Cummins. I'm like, I don't wager. I don't, I don't gamble. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said, I don't wager. I don't gamble. I like writing about it. I love analysis. I love looking at, you know, you, you see my fun bets articles on Fightful MMA uh, almost every single Friday. I love analyzing and saying, you know what? If I'm going to put money down, that's worth 100 bucks because I'm getting 900 bucks back or 1500 bucks back. Like the Damian Maya Carlos kind of give you, you know, a, a bunch of examples. But I was told, look, man, no one knows who Patrick Cummins is. This dude is a bad, bad man. He is going to give Daniel Cormier a run for his money. And don't be surprised if he TKOs Daniel. And I I was just kind of like, I've never heard of this guy. And it was on and on and on and on. And I was kind of like scratching my head, thinking to myself, did I, did I, like, I know a fair amount of fighters, even on grassroots, the grassroots scene. I don't know much about Patrick Cummins. And I'm looking him up. I'm like, you know, I started mentally convincing myself this could actually happen. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. Daniel Cormier is a bad, bad man. And then when it went down, I was like, oh, God, why do people do this to me? Is that the first time they've done it to me, Sean Rossap? I mean, People have done it to me all the time, year after year after year. This guy belongs in the UFC. I go to an event, I watch him, and I'm like, uh, no, he'll get destroyed. So, yeah, I mean, DC, John Joe. Do you think it's actually going to happen, though? You think it's going to happen in July, uh, UFC 214? Yes, I do. I think it'll happen. Um, I think that John Jones wants to make additional money in case – Anything bad happens to him, I think Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier obviously wants it to happen. You got to put Manawa on that show, though. You have to put Manawa on that show in case something happens. Who do we got in that that division? You you can't put him up against Shogun because I think they already fought, didn't they? Manawa and Shogun. Do you see? Or no, no, no. Manawa uh-huh. and no, they didn't fight. They didn't fight. So I would book. Shogun versus Manawa on that same show, DC versus Jones. And if something goes down, you slide Manawa in there. And Manawa said he's willing to do that. Or you put Manawa up against just anybody in the top 15, whether it's Tyson Pedro or or not Ovin St. Pru. Ovin St. Pru is booked now. Eler Latifi, anybody. Just put him on the show in case something goes down. Well, that's but you know what I've never understood that. The first time the UFC really did that was that that welterweight event in Montreal, where they had a bunch of different welterweights fighting on the card, which obviously protects the main event if anything happens, but it also showcases the same peeps in the division. So you automatically can say at the post fight press conference, Dana White never announces the fights, anyways. But if the champion just did this and the number two and three guy just fought, now yeah. that guy, then we already know we get to see it, right? So to me, it's all like it's all it makes total sense. The other thing that the UFC always wanted to do, uh, and this goes way back just before the Fox deal was signed, um, or sorry, the Fox deal was signed, was the fact that the goal of every pay per view was to showcase a UFC champion or two. 
And then they went through those injuries where it was almost impossible to get a, a champion headlining a pay-per-view, whereas the fight nights would basically be building the fighters like they did yeah. back in the 80s and 90s with ABC Sports, where they would build the contenders that would then graduate to pay-per-view. You add a few more divisions in the UFC, you are guaranteed, virtually guaranteed, sorry, figuratively guaranteed, champions on every single pay-per-view. Oh, you remember uh, UFC 146? The all-heavyweight main card? They were like, we're not losing this main event. We're getting, we're getting – somebody's going to step up if Frank Mir can't go. And you had Dos Santos, Mir, Bigfoot, Velazquez, Nelson, even uh, Miocic to this day. He, he was fighting on there. Stefan Shrove. So, I mean, they – I think you got to employ that a little more. Protect that main event. That way you don't get situations where – I mean, they've had to cancel shows in the past like 18 months because they didn't get a suitable main event. They went a month without a pay-per-view this year after their biggest pay-per-view year ever. I don't know. I, like, you got to protect the main events. It's important. I want to ask you about Maurice Smith. Uh, I put together uh, an article. I don't know if it's been posted on Fightful MA just yet, but uh, I wrote it this morning uh, and just giving you a – uh, a simple dude, a Canadian's look, uh, who's been around since you know 1993, watching the sport from day one, uh, and my experience in learning about a certain Marie Smith, and I take people down this little little journey of how I found out about Marie Smith, and then how I had to learn much more about mixed martial arts in my own training, and how Mo Smith was such a pivotal character, uh, a pivotal fighter, a game changer in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, you're a few years younger than me, maybe several years younger than me, maybe a lot younger than me. Um, what do you think of Maurice Smith? Do you have any recollection? Did you ever watch him fight? Did you ever see him fight? What, do you, what are your thoughts on a guy that I believed changed mixed martial arts so much that every single fighter and fight nowadays has Maurice's fingerprints on it? I'll put it like this. A lot of people will look at his record and say, well, why is he in? Like 14 and 14, that's that's the point of the, the Pioneers wing. It gives them a little more leverage. Any guy that can make Marco Huas be like, ah, maybe this ain't for me anymore. That says plenty to me. I mean, good God. Uh, and I love that they fought like six years after Huas said, like hung him up. He was like, yeah, I'm coming back for this one. I'm ready for this one. He beat Mark Coleman in that – legendary upset i mean that was mark coleman was on top of the world won the ufc heavyweight championship then defended it against tank abbott who not the greatest fighter but people knew him he was he was the country it was it was selling fights before selling fights was the big thing because people knew tank abbott as this controversial guy he was the everyman he was knocking people dead and, I mean, he had a storied history as, as a kickboxer as well. I thought this was a very thoughtful, great addition to the UFC Hall of Fame. And, unfortunately, as before a lot of people, before I even got big time into MMA, but I remember him fighting. He fought everywhere. Strike Force, uh, Rings, Pride, UFC. Pancrase, like baby. Pancrase, back in the day. His first two fights, on record. Minoru Suzuki. And he even fought Minoru Suzuki in like a mixed rules fight in like 89. Minoru Suzuki, who's still doing it in New Japan, by the way. New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know. Still a, Isn't that still crazy? a guy. Yeah, a top guy. So I love that. And I'm a, I'm a big Pancrase guy. He fought a lot of the legends. He fought like Shamrock, Boss Rutan. Came up uh, you know, came up on the, the short end there. Randleman uh, and Randy Couture later on. Uh, Henzo Gracie. He didn't care who he fought, and that was – a lot of people could take some tips from that because the one thing you I can liked, be enshrined. Being double tough, it, it matters. Yeah. Uh, should I should I talk a little bit more about what I wrote or just drive people uh, to read it? Because it's a different sense if I speak about it as opposed to if you read about it. But it's a, it's a beautiful um, – yes. I, 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 you know, Maurice Smith to me was a game changer in so many different ways, but most specifically because when I grew up, when I got into the UFC, uh, I remember watching UFC one uh, at a bar called, we call it upstairs, but it was called Marley Billiards in Midtown Toronto. Uh, I think the Leafs were playing the Blackhawks that night and the owner comes up to me and he says, uh, Joe, he's like, uh, there, there's this some crazy, it's not boxing, 
but some crazy thing that's going to be on pay-per-view. Check, take a look at this, this shorter trailer. I'm like, yeah, we're watching that. Anyways, I fell in love with the UFC, but I fell in love more with, with Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time. Uh, and I, I learned very quickly that, hey, man, all this boxing and, and kickboxing training that I'm doing, if I get taken down on the ground, I'm in big trouble. And I, I searched out Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools. Uh, I found one that I liked, started doing it, fell in love with it, but abandoned my striking. And, and as, as UFC events and Hoist Gracie kept going on and we started seeing different things uh, taking place, what we noticed that no matter what, the fight's going on the ground, the jiu-jitsu guy is going to win. And then along came Maurice Smith taking out Conan Silvera uh, with a head kick that showed me, wait a second, what just happened here? Conan Silvera was a heavy favorite. He was a demolisher. No one should beat Conan ever. And, and, and I think Mar- I think Smith was like, what, three and six at the time? So he's people three and six. So people looked. I remember I, like I, yeah, I researched a few years ago as when I, for the first time I was like taking money to write about stuff. I was like, I better learn some of the early history of MMA. And I remember I looked at that and I was like, I can't imagine what people thought like in the moment had social media been around then. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. That was 96, man. That was 1996. And I got that VHS tape, put it in my, uh, my VHS. And I just started my player. And I was like, these going to get killed. Conan's going to destroy this guy. This is not going to happen. And as the fight went on, I was like, what's happening here? He'd stuff everything. He would do this. He would do that. And he eventually wins. He eventually wins the fight. And I thought to myself, wait a second. I went back and I watched that fight over and over and over again and tried to figure out what went wrong for Conan as opposed to looking at what Maurice Smith was doing right. And as time went on, he continued to do the right things, especially when he beat up um, Mark Coleman. And I was like, holy smokes, this is a real thing. And he was he was one of the re- original trash talkers. Marie Smith, yeah. in the pre-fight interview, said Mark Coleman hits like a girl. Nobody talked about Mark Coleman in that manner back in the day. That guy was beyond feared across the planet. He would head down to Brazil uh, with Randleman and, and all the Americans to go down and compete uh, at those IVC shows with no gloves and headbutts, uh, with the net on the very bottom rope touching the canvas, and they would fear Mark Coleman. Nobody wanted to fight Mark Coleman. You were crazy if you were going to fight Mark Coleman. And here's Marie Smith saying, that guy hits like a girl. I'm like, you're dead. Mark Coleman's going to eat you alive. I love you. But and then I started realizing you need to slow down, Joe, because you saw what he did to Conan, and you know, Mo, and Mark Coleman's a different beast. He's a different Smith, beast, and lo and behold, yeah, Smith just had one of the most like psychotic slates of opponents for like the yeah, four man. or five years. Like it was insane. Before he even got to the UFC, it was like Shamrock, and then Boss Rutten, and then Boss Rutten again, then uh, Kosaka, then Tamora, and then he beat Conan. Oh my God! Like that guy, he he had. He, they didn't do him any favors. They didn't do him any favors. No. And all the while, you know, he's got this this uh, kickboxing in, in the background. He jumps back over to kickboxing. And it's like Lebaner, Ernesto Hoos. <laughs> yeah, like you know, he didn't care. He really just didn't yeah. care who he fought, and. That, the one thing I want to stress is, yeah, the one thing I want to stress, though, Sean, is he just proved to everybody the evolution that as a striker, if you can simply defend those takedowns or if you do get taken down on the ground, you just find your way back up. And he showcased it at a very high level. And it taught guys like me and all my training partners the exact same thing. We cannot abandon our striking. We've got to go back to our striking, work our boxing, work our Muay Thai, um, and continue learning our wrestling and keep doing our jiu-jitsu to become truly well-rounded. And we really got to see it. Um, that, I mean, Maurice Smith, to me, is, is an absolute game-changer. I love Marco Huas, always will be. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. UFC 7 with Michael Buffer, not Bruce Buffer, Michael Buffer, uh, making the announcement, the king of the streets, uh, only because his last name is Huas, which is basically streets uh, in Portuguese. But the king of the streets, always one of my favorites, to, uh, favorite fighters. Uh, of all time, but Maurice Smith, a definite game changer. All right, my man, we are wrapping up the show here. Thank you to everybody on the live chat. I see all the stuff going on there. You guys are arguing amongst yourselves and, and educating yourselves, which is fantastic, but uh, we do appreciate all of you tuning in live, especially uh, even those that are tuned in later on on iTunes and on Stitcher, but Mr. Sean Ross Sapp, what do you have going on uh, tonight over the weekend? What's up? Big weekend at Fightful.com. Anthony Joshua, Klitschko, tomorrow afternoon. Right after that show, Carlos Toro and Steve Muehlhausen will have a post-show boxing podcast. 
So come there, watch the fights mid-afternoon. You don't have to monopolize your nights for it. Sat- or Sunday, we have WWE Payback. Of course, we're doing a post-show after that. Come hang out in that live discussion. Got a few weeks off of MMA. It's kind of quiet. But uh, then next weekend, we have Canelo versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. coverage. That's going to be fun. I th- I'm pretty sure Carlos and Steve will do a post-show podcast for that too. Not sure, but I'm assuming they will. Yeah, and with the uh, the time off that we're having with uh, no big show uh, for the next couple of weeks, I did inform my wife that, hey, Saturday, uh, Saturday night, uh, I'm not getting together with Sean Ross Sapp. We're not doing a post-fight podcast. There's no post-fight. Can I tell you within f- five minutes, maybe 15, maybe 10 minutes, the honey-do list that I got that I need to take <laughs> care of this weekend is just nonstop, nonstop. As it stands right now, on my driveway are 50 sheets of drywall uh, and then 10 sheets for a bathroom that we're doing in the basement that I have to haul in by myself. Four by eight sheets. Uh, I'm going to have to see if I can get some neighbors out there to bring New furniture's coming out, Sean. This guy is busting his tail here. The wife is not going to give me a moment to sit down and watch any sort of television or fights. This guy will be hauling ass. We do thank you very much, Sean Rossap. Uh, make sure you guys give him a follow at Sean Rossap. Uh, SRS is the man, the infamous. We thank him all the time for coming on here on Fridays to talk MMA and, of course, joining us on Saturdays uh, after uh, a big UFC event, whether it's a fight night or a pay-per-view. Make sure you follow at Fightful MMA. Of course, FightfulMMA.com for all of your mixed martial arts news. My name is Joe Ferraro. You can follow me online anytime at Showdown Joe. All you guys in that live chat that started following me on social media, I sincerely appreciate it. Make sure you follow Sean as well. Uh, Monday, it is the return of the Predator, Patrick Cote, uh, who's currently on vacation right now. Give him a follow at Pat Cote. I think it's Pat Cote MMA on Instagram. Uh, he's posted some crazy pics of him, uh, I guess, enjoying some beverages with some friends intertwined with pictures of his little baby daughter. Uh, cute little picture. So uh, Cote's having a great time, but he will join me back here once again consistently now on Mondays, and we'll talk a whole bunch of stuff with Patrick Cote. Until then, guys, girls, be safe. Thank you very much for all of your support. Uh, we will catch you Monday, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until then, ciao for now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.